Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Have you ever wondered why mean girls actually wear pink? Do you have a Zoom date coming up and want to know how to dress double O sexy like the Bond girls on screen? Or... Are you wanting to nail that stylish superhero off GT look? Have no fear, cinema's Anna Wintour is here. I'm your host, Andrea Ragba, and you're listening to The Real Fashion Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the most iconic fashion and costume moments in film and television history. On Christmas Day in 2006, a 1960s-inspired musical hit our screens, and it was called dun, 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 Dreamgirls. The costume designer for Dreamgirls is none other than Sharon Davis. Her work includes the 2004 biographical film Ray, sci-fi dystopian television series Westworld, and most recently, the dystopian superhero drama series Watchmen, the most Emmy-winning award show in one-night history, if that even makes sense. Like, it was just such a grand thing. She's also the first woman of colour costume designer that we are discussing on Real Fashion. So, yeah, hashtag love that for us. (laughs) But before I can go on and discuss her brilliant time warping work, I have to introduce my guest for this episode, the one, the only, Olivia Savannah from Olivia's Catastrophe. Hello, thanks for having me. I am a bookish content creator, so I create a lot of content around books and the themes that it discusses and I also write poetry and novels myself too. Let's go back to memory lane. I feel like vaguely I remember it. I remember we were very excited. I don't think we went to the cinema. I think we waited until it came out on DVD and then we put on the DVD and it was all the women in our household, my mum, my three sisters and me like sitting down to watch this film because we are huge fans of Beyonce who we knew was in the film and we're absolutely blown away because it was amazing. (laughs) Everybody wanted to be Beyonce. I think Destiny's Child broke up. I don't think they were a thing at that time. But I remember the whole hype around Beyonce as a as a person was always this thing of her being, you know, in a group, right? And being the centre, mm. the, the figurehead of it and the star. So a part of me was a bit confused because I was like, oh, hold on. <laughs> is this supposed to be like Beyonce's like documentary? I was like, how old is Beyonce? Like, damn, like this girl, <laughs> is she old? Then eventually, I think as I got older and I think I rewatched it a few times, I was like, oh no, it's kind of loosely based on the Supremes and, you know, Motown era. Speaking of Motown, did you have prior knowledge of the Motown era when you first watched the film? I don't think I knew anything when I was younger. I wasn't aware enough to be of to be focused on that when watching it. I was mostly mm-hmm. just thinking like, wow, the amazing singing and just finding that amazing. Like I knew enough to know this is a historical film and we don't dress like that now. We don't like experience the same things now. It was only when I was watching it as someone who's older, who's had more education in Black history, that I could see the parallels to some of the things that happened during the time period that the film set across, because it spans quite a few years. What I really took an interest in was how each character was based on someone. 
it was definitely something I started to notice later on just because I don't know I feel like when I watch a film I'm not too critical especially when it's musicals just because I like to enjoy a musical but later down the line I started to be like oh this person reminds me of this singer like Aretha Franklin like the look is the same or the sound is kind of the same and I think slowly I managed to latch on to that I probably don't have every character nailed down but I could see the traces of it as I got older I think Jennifer Hudson's character Effie is supposed to channel Aretha Franklin that's more noticeable when Effie sort of becomes her own and then also Eddie Murphy's character is supposed to be Marvin Gaye channeling his different eras his lifestyle and just general aesthetic each character has their own like personality that's clear in the way that they're being acted but I think the clothes do a lot to amplify that. I find it really interesting that even though the dream girls often have matching outfits they still manage to each channel an individual style. I, I guess it helps that the group dynamic is always shifting so like there's when Jennifer Hudson's character is in the lead role and then there's when Dina Jones is in the lead role and you can see the fashion shifts to match who's in the lead and their style but I think it's interesting how even though they all have the same outfit you can still see the different personalities in the clothing. Yeah, and also in conversation with the Costume Designers Guild, Sharon Davis talks about how each of the main characters had a costume designer dedicated to creating costumes for them anyways on the film. So yeah, pretty cool. I feel like, okay, I'm going to take a writing approach to this. I know we're talking about fashion, but Mm -hmm. if you're writing a book with multiple points of view, you can be the only person who is writing those multiple points of view. And a trick that lots of writers use is kind of basing each person on someone that they they kind of know, but not making it exactly the same, because that would be a bit dodgy if you did that. And I feel like with fashion, you can have like a head designer who knows kind of what all the outfits need to look like, but you can give it to individual people so they can add their own individual flair. And I think seeing the results of Dreamgirls, it does work very well. It does create the individualism within the group entity. So would I say it's necessary? Probably not, but it just has such a nice effect. And if you have the budget, why not? You know what? Speaking of budget, Sharon Davis confirmed, this was like six months ago, that the budget for the costumes and everything, including labour, was $1.2 million. My goodness. But even re-watching it, it was just so interesting because I rewatched it recently in anticipation of this, mm. is that there are so many moments where you just see snippets of them wearing an outfit in an advertisement or just for a quick photo shoot, they rally through like nine outfits. Yeah. So I can definitely see where the budget comes from for all of that. So in the beginning, I guess they're in this sort of talent show of some sorts. It's quite interesting. So we see a foursome, right? So a group of four girls and they're in this like sort of mermaid dress and they look kind of cute. And then we hear they're called the stepsisters. And it's like, "Mm, that's that's not, that's not my girls. That's not my dream girls. (laughs) Where are my dreams, you know? So I was like, okay. And then lo and behold, all over the place, trying to sneak out of the houses, we see the dreamettes. So I think the first character we see from the Dreamettes is Beyonce's character, which is not really a surprise because it's Beyonce. We kind of, most people really sat in the cinema, you know, wanting their money's worth. So Beyonce got to be there in the first five minutes. She's essentially wearing this ugly orange dress with, I think it was, I don't know what kind of flower it was, but some, one of those flowers that are like spiky looking on like her hip on her waist. Yeah, not not the best thing that we've seen her in. 
Anyways, so you see her in that and then she's got this synthetic wig on. And then we see the other two turn up. We have Anika Noni Rose's character, Laurel Turner, and she's really cute and innocent with her squeaky voice and just happy to be here, happy to be existing. And then Effie just, she just, Effie, she was just like, yeah, I'm here and like, I'm here and like, what do you want? I'm here. Okay, I was busy. Like, let's let's get the show on the road. It was essentially a, a costume clothing foreshadowing moment with the stepsisters in the beginning and the dreamettes in this situation of orangeness. I wanted to know what you thought about that. As you mentioned, the stepsisters are wearing a mermaid style dress. And when I think of like the DVD cover of Dreamgirls, they are in a mermaid style dress. And in the beginning, I think they come in, the stepsisters walk past them and they've got the same wig as the Dreamettes group. And Dina's like, turn the wig around. And then Jennifer Hudson's character is like, why? Why should I turn the wig around? And Dina says, because we need a look. And it's that moment where they realise they need a look. They need to look a certain way to make it in singing even and how their look is depending on the stepsisters and then they end up looking like the stepsisters. You can really see that circular motion. This whole movie, the whole dream girls, I don't know, the whole dream girls, dream girls-ness, that's not even a thing, but yeah. It's all essentially just a big plot on ripping off. If you think about it, you know, like ripping off in terms of the music and the stealing and like the backhand sort of behavior antics that goes on. But then also their general like look, it's just a big rip off. It's just that they're lucky that they're doing it better, which I think is quite Mm. interesting. This is a really small thing. And I don't know, maybe some people may disagree that this even has any relevance, but I think it does. So if you notice, after they finish singing and like Curtis does his sleazy, slimy ways. Every single time I see Curtis on screen, I just want to kick him. But anyways. Um, <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> Literally. So when they, like sort of when they pack up and stuff and um, Curtis is like, I've got this opportunity if you sing with Jimmy early, uh, but back up. When, they, uh, when the girls are wearing their coats, Beyonce's character, Dina, is wearing this sort of, I think it's like this white tweed jacket material essentially foreshadows her all white mansion apartment that she ends up living in when she marries Curtis. Effie's character has this Dalmatian print faux fur like coat. The Dalmatian coat that Effie wears I feel like she's just even though Dalmatian and Leopard are not the same she's a leopard with many spots right she can do anything and everything and she's that coat is she just stands out you know it's something it's just like the way it fits on her as well it's very like boss woman I am the centre mm. of everything kind of look. Definitely something that I want on my wardrobe for sure. And then uh, Laurel's character, if I'm not mistaken, I think she has like this just like sweet purple coat, like nothing special, but it, it just makes mm. it really juvenile. And that essentially fits the purpose of her character, the juvenile young one. But I wanted to know if you think, especially when we think about the character's trajectories throughout the film, if... That is just a sort of subtle hint to where they end up, what to where they end up being and what they end up doing. And I would definitely agree with what you're saying, just because until you mentioned it, I could not remember what Laurel's character wears or what Dina's character wears. I could visually, like, I could visualize Effie's jacket the most and just straight away, like, off the bat, you didn't need to explain it. And I think it just goes to show that she's such an unforgettable character and she's definitely 
I mean, you could argue about who is the main role here, if it's Effie or Dina, which I think suits the content of the film. But I feel like that shows that she is the standout character. She's the one who's who's a boss woman who's not going to take anything less than she's worth. And I think that jacket really shows it. And as you said, Laurel's jacket is quite forgettable. And I'm not going to say she's a forgettable character, but she's definitely the backstage character. She is not the one who has a main storyline like the other ones. She's there to be juvenile and sweet and just to be part of the group rather than to have her own major storyline. And her jacket represents that. But I don't know. The fact that I don't really remember Dina's outfits until probably later on, I think it just shows how much she moves forwards, if that makes any sense. I think the only time really we see, I don't know, all three of them shine in the same way that they need to shine if that even makes sense, is when they, yeah, when they start singing backup, proper backup for Jimmy early, they're wearing like these uh, red, these like red shimmery tasseled bejeweled midi mini dresses. And they just look Mm -hmm. so beautiful on stage. The person who was in charge of like cinematography, like, oh my God, like we love you. Because literally like when the camera was like up close, uh, like, you know, doing close ups and up close and personal. And then from when it was just like miles away, sort of trying to get that like audience view shot of them, you couldn't miss a single, a single bead. Like the beading work (laughs) on that was just like, it was incredible. This is giving me Supremes, but I'm not too sure why it's giving me Supremes. And I think this is because obviously like I, I'm aware of the of the overlapping in terms of like history and just like referencing. But I'm sure there is an image or like an, a concert or a show performance that the Supremes did where they wore like red dresses. Don't know if they had tassels on them, but I'm sure there was because I can feel like my brain is giving me Diana Ross in like a red sweetheart neckline mermaid fitting thing. Or maybe that's just me being very basic. But I want to know if you feel like their association with Jimmy's character, especially because Jimmy is such a loud character, benefited them in terms of their individual and collective character arcs, as well as their clothing, their costuming. Um, I feel like that, that song was just the awakening for them. They kind of discarded the ugly orange dresses and they're in something that's fiery and glittery. And Jimmy Earl all through the film is like, I did glitter first. And lots of his suits, lots of his suits are sequined or glittered. And then that flapper dress style that they've got going on is just, you know, bright and vivid and glittery as well. And I feel like it reflects Jimmy very well and just the easing into the Jimmy and the Dream It's era. I think they have quite a few other ones where they're kind of sparkly. I think there's a song like I Want You Baby and I recalled Jimmy early in like bright white and them in a very nice white that kind of shines as well. Could yeah. be wrong. That's just my memory. I think it was the Miami Beach performance in the movie and the girls, I don't think the girls were wearing white. I think they were wearing like this coral this like coral, oh, yeah. like ball, ball gown kind of looking thing. Um, mm. Wasn't my favourite look because I remember, I think the, oh, uh, Curtis, Curtis Taylor was sitting with um, Cece's character and, um, oh, this like white music exec, I think. And Curtis turns around to him and he was like, oh, we can make it younger for American Bandstand. And I think he was hinting at A, the music, B, the general look. And then also I think that was sort of a hint at how later on in the movie he was going to kick Jimmy to the curb, basically. I don't know if you ever watched like Fashion Police, 
No, I haven't. You missed out, man. You missed out. <laughs> I mean, it was it was good in the beginning, like when it first came out, but then uh, towards the end, it went a bit a bit mm, bit a bit haywire. But when the show was in its prime, right, they used to have the segment called "Bitch Stole My Look," and essentially it was these people, celebrities who wore the same thing, who wore a bell, whatever. And I feel like Jimmy throughout the whole movie, especially when he notices that the the dreams, the dreamettes, were getting more attention than him. There was that whole element of like I did it first, a bit like what you said, like I did it first, I was here first. This is my thing. I was the one who put the soul, the glitz and glamour into this into this show business. Give me my accolades, give me my due respect. And he was just sort of looked at as this this old has been even though he hadn't been, you know? And I think as well to sort of, to really fast forward into the movie when we see him, this is one of like the last looks we see him in. They're in this room, um, I think it's in um, like the Curtis, Curtis and Dina's like mansion house or whatever. And he's playing the song that he's recorded with Laurel and Cece's lyrics and like production. Patience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing this like denim Western style get up and it's got like uh, like Swarovski crystals on it. And it's subtle. But for me, I interpreted that as, right, this is really Jimmy giving it his sort of last, you know, like hooray, hoo-ha kind of thing. Mm. And um, the denim is supposed to be like, He's trying, but he's not trying, especially because it's like a, essentially it's, it's a, yeah, it's a denim, it's a denim on denim look, but it's like a denim suit-ish look with the Western vibe. And the mm. crystals, I thought this was him basically saying, this is my, this is literally my last sparkle. Like this is, this is it. <laughs> Please accept me. But guys, just, he just decides to be just rude basically. And you can see from that moment, Jimmy's, Jimmy just fades. I think what you're saying with him just fading out but having that last hurrah with that outfit kind of is accurate because he does start off so glittery and glamoury and I think throughout the film as he drops down he gets more and more muted. There's even a moment where he's watching, he's talking to other people and the dreamets are being advertised on the TV and it's a casual outfit but he's wearing all black Yeah, and it's just so muted in comparison to what we've seen him in before. You can just see, as you said, he's just faded out but I like what you said about the last hurrah with that denim outfit and the crystals and such right before his big you know downfall I definitely think that his outfits track the progression of his career yeah if we're going to speak about downfalls I feel like it's really important that we we have to we have to speak about Effie right because Effie's Effie's downfall I don't know if it was I don't know I I can't tell if it was self-induced or if she was like pushed out if we think about the time period and we think about what we assume or believe is supposed to be a diva she was a diva the whole turning up late but then you know she turned up late but she showed out when she needed to show up right she Mm -hmm. had the voice she was a powerhouse and I think this is after the I want you, I want you baby thing, right? And mm. uh, the Dina and Laurel are sitting down in the dressing room and Cece's there and Curtis is there and whatever. And Dina and um, Laurel are supposed to look like they've just finished like performing and, you know, they're taking off their makeup and all that. But they still look all put together. And mm. I think Dina's wearing like a pink robe and Laurel's character is wearing a blue one. I can't remember some few, you know, colours. And when I sort of noticed that, it made me think of, I think, a few scenes earlier in the film where Dina's character makes a point to tell Effie, like, you know, mute your character down, like, calm down, be like me, soft and gentle, because the guys seem to like it. But anyways, so then Effie's character comes in and I love me some Jennifer Hudson. 
But the costume designers were like, yeah, we don't like you. <laughs> we don't like Effie. We don't like what Effie's become. Because Effie was looking like she was some old woman. Like in comparison to the two of them, she had this like burgundy robe on her hair. I know it was a wig and I know they're supposed to say like, oh, it was hot on stage. They sweat it out. And all that. But no, I don't know what she had on her head. I don't know what she had on her head. That was the whole scene where Curtis essentially tells them, tells the girls and Cece, Dina's going to sing, sing lead because we want to try something different. And then Cece's like, yeah, yeah, I agree with Curtis because Curtis is a god, apparently, and all of that kind of stuff. Then Effie's like, mm. no. Curtis says something about how he kind of says he likes the way Dina looks, but he doesn't. Like, it's, the, it's the way he phrases what he says. Then Effie's yeah. like, so what are you trying to say? You don't like the way I look? Or are you trying to say I'm ugly? Blah, blah, blah. And I really felt for her because then what followed after was her brother and Curtis saying, well, no, we're just looking for a lighter sound. First thing I thought of was lighter sound, her skin. Because I think when I was younger, I thought they meant lighter sound in terms of weight. Because there is a mm. song in the movie where it's like... um. Heavy. Like heavy, yeah, heavy, heavy. Which when I watched it again, I was like, Jesus, like what? That's and and it's kind of around the time when she walks out, and as she walks out, Curtis says, You've been getting fat all the time. And I was like, But that song beforehand, mm. Mm, you know? <laughs> I was like, Oh. So I think younger me was like, Okay, lighter sound, wait. But then like older me was like, Okay, with an understanding of what colorism, I was like, Oh, okay. Mm. So you just want a light girl in, in, in the front. Okay, we see, we see you. Which again, I think in, in context with Beyonce's musical history career, kind of makes sense with the Destiny's Child thing. It's because her dad, Beyonce's dad, what's his name? Matthew Knowles. He came out and did an interview. I can't remember who, what, like, who the interview was with, but he essentially said that one of the reasons why he put Beyonce in the lead and why uh, Beyonce worked as as a as a lead singer and as just as, as a solo artist is because she's light skin in comparison to other singers, which was quite. It was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, I guess steering away from fashion, but then not. Do you feel like the colour of Effie's skin versus Dina's skin had a lot to do with the clothing that they were put in? So this is talking about them in terms of characters, not in terms of Beyonce and Jennifer Hudson, but characters mm. themselves. I think yes. I mean, as you've said in some of the previous outfits, all the lighter, cuter colours tend to really suit Dina. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Effie was often dressed when she was dressed as an individual in darker colours. Yeah. And you can just see the lighter, darker um, contrast between them, as in also Dina's supposed to be the good one here and Effie's supposed to be the bad one. And I feel like when Effie leaves the group, she takes on her own style that suits her as a character. It's earthy. I remember when she has the song Changing, she's wearing these like earthy bronze and brown outfits that are really flowy and just fit her so well and you know that the dream it's dream girls would never have worn those outfits they were all tight and really vivid colors very soft colors and it just I think that distinction goes to show that when there was the group they were dressing for Dina and when Effie gets to be her own self she wears things that suit her and suit her skin tones suit her suit her shape as well Okay, so now is the part of the podcast of the episode where we talk about whether Dreamgirls has somewhat informed our personal style. Clothing-wise, 
I would say, do you know when Dina's character goes to Curtis, like to Curtis's office? Curtis's office is amazing. Like, it's like, it's just, oh, Curtis is just, I don't like Curtis. I hate him, but like his office is great. I want to live in there. But anyways, (laughs) and she goes into his office and she's wearing this uh, like black power suit with this like fedora style hat. Um, Oh, yes. Yeah. I remember that outfit. Yeah, I mean, like. Ah, listen, mm. see, and it had this like white ruffle shirt that was open, and I really loved it. Now, I don't own a, a look, a suit that looks exactly like that. Beyonce's like five seven, and yeah, Beyonce's five seven, and those trousers that she wore, because of like the nature of a flare trouser, they made her legs look extremely long, and like she was like walking on stilts. At least that's how I viewed mm-hmm. it, and I thought mm. it was quite interesting because we know Beyonce as as the artist, and then. Beyonce's character Dina in the show as this hourglass figure whereas without I don't know if this is an insult it's not meant to be but she looked like a trumpet in terms of the style how <laughs> elongated her legs were I don't mm-hmm. know yeah like yeah, I, mean, I, know I mean, what you mean yeah like also the look that she wears to leave Curtis it's very is very effortless but it worked it kind of reminded me of a Beyonce music video for Ring the Alarm I don't know if, if you've seen it, if you've not seen it, go see it. Mm. If you've seen it, it's... I strongly believe they filmed the music video in that house. But anyways, that's a whole other conversation for a different day. One thing I was noticing in the film is that there's a very distinct difference between when they're dressing formal and when they're dressing casual. Yeah. And I really love formal wear. I'm kind of gutted, you know, with this whole pandemic thing. I don't really wear my formal wear much at the moment. Yeah. But I really liked the the formal distinction between formal and casual and when you mentioned that outfit I was like that is it that is kind of my formal style like nice long trousers especially black and white I really love to wear black and white a lot and I think probably when I was you know younger during my wardrobe I would just stick to black but I think the film does a good job of showing how contrast can work especially with like our skin tone you know, Dina Jones and all of those bright colours. Sometimes I felt like it was too much and then I can see that's not something I like. But when they're like a bit muted or just just the right contrast, I feel like that's kind of my wardrobe as well. And I get lots of my fashion inspiration. I'm not that fashionable. But most of my fashion oh, inspiration comes oh, from... Oh, please. Oh, please. <laughs> it comes from like um, probably black films and black artists like Janelle Monet who wear formal but also like muted, casual that's my kind of style. Janelle Monáe's uh, whole look as well is very distinct. It's not it's not manufactured. In conversation with Sharon Davis, someone said, someone made a comment saying how um, that um, when there is a period piece, we must honour the period, but at the same time, honour the period that we're in. So I think it's really powerful to have a woman of colour costume designer replicating famous outfits that women of colour wore during a period which yeah. is defined by people of colour. Mm. Yeah, and a film heavily focused on women of color as well. That is it for this episode of Real Fashion. We've been talking about all things Dream Girls. I mean, we're not we're not you know Motown experts, but we know a little something. <laughs> we know a little bit. This has been great. Um, thank you for having me. It's been so nice to come and chat with you. And I mean, fashion with Dream Girls is not one of the first things that springs to mind when I watch it, but it's been very interesting to see it through that lens and just learn so much more. Also from this discussion as well. So where can the lovely people find you, Olivia Savannah? Well, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube, all under Olivia's Catastrophe and the Twitter is Olivia's Catastrophe.
make sure you follow us on at real fashion pod on instagram at real fashion pod on twitter and use the hashtags hashtag real fashion hashtag real fashion pod i've been your host andrew ragba and this has been the real fashion podcast and yeah hope you have a wonderful week see you next time bye hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus.